0: everyone and welcome to episode 576 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? I have been catching up on quite a few things because if you're a regular listener, you'll know that I've been overseas. And it was so great to bump into some graduates of the Australian Writers' Centre while I was overseas. Big hello, especially to Helen, who I met in Honolulu. She has written three romance novels after doing courses at the Centre. Can't wait to see what you do next, Helen. And if you're not a regular listener, then welcome. So thrilled that you've joined me this week. I hope you get something out of the podcast and uh, I hope you become a regular listener. I'm also back in time for our wonderful webinar this week, all about villains. This is proving to be very popular. So many people have enrolled in it. Um, This is part of our Focus On series, where we deep dive or focus on a particular aspect of writing craft. And this is focus on villains. You know who we're talking about, the antagonists. You know, the ones who create obstacles and barriers and pain and challenges for your main character. Readers love to hate villains, you know, whether they're mean girls or dark lords. Readers also love to love villains, especially, you know, dark brooding ones with sense of humour. So how do you create a memorable, believable antagonist that readers can't resist and want to know more about and, you know, actually care about. This online seminar delves into what makes an antagonist work in a story. You know, how much space do you give them? Do they need their own point of view? Uh, Do you, How do you make your readers feel what you want them to feel about them? Uh, Do different genres need different kinds of villains? Now, to find out... Um Pamela Freeman, our Director of Creative Writing, is running this seminar on Thursday, the sixteenth of November, 2023, from 7 p.m. Sydney Melbourne Time. The first hour is the presentation, and then there'll be 30 minutes of QA so you can get all your burning questions answered. If you want to find out more, go to writercenter.com.au slash focus on villains. That's writercentercomau slash focusonvillains. And now we're welcoming back Nat Newman. Oh, my goodness. So last week we talked to Nat about the play that she's rehearsing. And doesn't stop. She really has a portfolio career. She's a, um, what's the word? Uh, a renaissance woman. I was going to say <laughs> polymath. Look, you're probably a polymath as well. But you're a renaissance woman because this week she has been producing a short film hello how did this come about tell us
1: yeah um well like anything in life um you know you have a crazy idea and you just follow through with it I think that's how we get everything done I think we need a bit more detail than that that's (laughs) really not (laughs) that useful (laughs) well so I I saw that there was a film festival coming up and I thought I wonder you know what what does it take to enter a film festival and I read the requirements (laughs) and I thought I could do that (laughs) so so I wrote a script and I got in touch with um, a bunch of my friends. I've got a lot of friends who um, who uh, study. Hang on, for... hang
0: on, let backtrack. Hello. Yep. So I wrote a script. Come on, <laughs> like <laughs> you what in one night? Like how, how long did it take you to write the script? Did you already have an idea for a script? How long was the script? Bit more detail,
1: thanks. Oh, okay. Actually, this is kind of interesting. Yeah. So I did. It was pretty well in a night, but. Um, what I, the main thing I thought was I wanted to keep it simple. So I wanted one location. Um, And so then I started thinking, okay, like maybe a restaurant scene. And so then I pictured a couple of people meeting at a restaurant and I thought, what, what, what it could, what could it be that they talk about in this restaurant? And so I envisaged it was a couple breaking up. And um, and they were meeting in a restaurant. I thought, what would they talk about? And so it just kind of started from there. And then I ended up I ended up actually reading, writing a completely different story, but that was just the sort of thing that kicked it kicked off my imagination. And then and so it morphed. And instead, now it's um, this this guy. He's just gone through a breakup, and his best friend asks him to babysit her teddy bear while she's <laughs> away um, on site for a week. <laughs> so that's what it ended up being, and that's what we ended up. Um, filming. So yeah, so now we're deep in post-production, which is a lot of work editing and doing the score and all of that stuff.
0: But hang on, prior to this, I mean, you had experience writing, granted, because you're a fantastic writer and, um, you know, you're one of our tutors here at the Australian Writers' Centre, but you had not had experience in producing a film. So talk me through how in the world you go from, oh, look, there's a film festival on, let's look at the entry requirements to actually producing it because that requires camera people, directors, actors, you know, probably hair and makeup, hey, catering or whatever. So yeah. how did you get all that together and how do you even know where to start?
1: Um, You know, I think a lot of us have skills that are applicable across different Um, formats that maybe we don't think about like so I used to do a lot of project management so it's very producing is very similar to that you just you look up a lot of websites you read a lot of articles and you kind of just think a bit practically and think what actually needs to happen for this to um, happen I guess and so I made a list of those things and then I just started contacting people in my network Uh, obviously I know a lot of actors um, then they know directors they know people from film school or whatever and just started sort of networking with people. And I think just not being afraid, you know, like particularly as writers or creatives, we're often really introverted. I am quite introverted, but you know, sometimes you just got to send the message, send the email and say, Hey, I'm doing this thing. You want to, well, you want to join. And the thing is people love joining projects. People want to be involved. So, you know, if you pitch it to them the right way, people, people really want to be involved in, in creative projects. Wow. So where, where did you film it? we filmed it in my apartment. (laughs) Awesome. So you had the set organized. It wasn't too expensive. (laughs) No, that was quite cheap. (laughs) But then I did have to organize um, one scene is actually set um, in a church. So then, you know, I had to go around to that church and negotiate with them and say, is it okay that we film here? You know, so that, that also takes some, some negotiating skills, but again, you know, that's all stuff that we learn in real life in our other jobs when we're not being creative. So, yeah.
0: Wow. Don't do what, um, I think there's a seminal scene in West Wing, uh, where the president Jed Bartlett, uh, played by Martin Sheen is angry at, I don't know, life or whatever. And he's in a church and he's talking to, well, you know, God. And, um, I think one of the things he does is he, uh, was smoking, a cigarette at the time, and he puts the cigarette, he uh, throws the cigarette on the floor and stamps it out. I think that is what occurred from memory. And it was a seminal scene that many people talk about, but from that point on that church never allowed filming again,
1: is my understanding. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because of the cigarette. (laughs) Yeah, right. You can't just smoke in a church. It's a bit rude. Well, it's it's not
0: just the smoking, it's stuffing (laughs) it out. out. Anyway, all right. Well, can't wait to see the um short film.
1: Mm. But uh, let's move on to the writing tip this week. What's the writing tip? Oh, okay. So I got an email um recently for a book launch, and it was for a novella duology. Have you ever heard of a novella duology before? I mean, I've heard
0: of a novella, and I've heard of the duology, but I don't think I have read a novella duology.
1: Yeah. So I, I was kind of intrigued by this. Um. So, I mean, yeah, like you say, most of us know what a novella is. It's a fairly short um, novel. Um, and so with a duology, you've got two separate short books, they're, they're, but they work together, but they each have like their own climax. They've each got their own story arcs and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's not just um, one book and then the sequel, but they actually kind of complement each other in different ways. So, yeah, I thought it was a really, really interesting, um, really interesting concept. And because I love, love, love a short book. I love being able to finish a book in a couple mm. of hours. so i mm. love the idea of of having a couple of novellas that are interconnected in that way so i think i'm going to So start interconnected
0: with that. how like what, so if it's not a sequel is it just they've taken one character you know from that world and written a story about that character as an example
1: yeah, I think, I think they're actually like two separate stories, but um, but they belong to the same world. So you can sort of think of it as world building, but on a kind of a much smaller scale. You know, we think of world building as being these massive 300, 400-page books, you know, mm. fantasy series that span, you know, dozens of books, you know, like Game of Thrones kind of thing. Mm. But actually world building done on a small scale can be really, really um, really good as well. Um, have you read um, Martha Wells's Murderbot? series no no they're really really great um so they're all novellas they're they're and they're sort of standalone but they're not they're not conceived of as a duology she just keeps bringing those out um probably every couple of years uh and then occasionally also throws in a novel as part of the world building but yeah I think instead of getting caught up in the idea of having a massive massive um world building uh project yeah I think doing these little novellas um a really really great idea for for writers
0: so much more achievable because a lot of people think they need to write an epic fantasy that spans mm. not only generations but cuts down many many trees in the process. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, do so, like it's like you know, when we advise people to start with short stories instead of necessarily going straight for the novel if they yeah. don't have um if they're not uh you know, fully convinced of their idea for a novel, start with a short story. Well, yeah, maybe start world-building with a um a shorter thing like a novella duology. Mm, Exactly. Give it a go. (laughs) All right. Thanks for your tip this week, Nat. We'll see you next week. All right. I want to move on to our competition this week. I have three copies of The Impossible Secret of Lillian Velvet by Jacqueline Moriarty to give away. Jacqueline Moriarty is a best-selling, multi-award winning author, and you can also meet her on episode 209 of this podcast. Her latest book is The Impossible Secret of Lillian Velvet. <clears throat> I have three copies to give away. This whimsical tale takes us to the world of kingdoms and empires, where a young girl journeys through dangerous situations with her magical jar of gold coins, meeting fascinating characters along the way. Here's the blurb. Lillian Velvet lives a very lonely life with her cold and remote grandmother, that is until her 10th birthday, when she is given a pickle jar of gold coins, along with a note with clear instructions. Don't go out, don't open the door for anyone, and don't spend all your coins in one day. What happens next seems impossible. The coins whisk Lillian away to a different time and place. There she meets a small boy in a circus, about to be crushed to death, a lively family each member in a distinctive form of mortal danger, a boy with a skateboard and a girl who can whisper with a capital W, and a web of dangerous magic closing tight around it all. Why is Lillian here? How is she supposed to help these new friends? And most importantly, What Happens If She Fails? An exciting tale in the magical kingdoms and empires world where seemingly disparate elements are spun until all is revealed as one delicious, tantalising whole. All right, so we have three copies to give away. Entries close on the 20th of November. Just go to writerscentre.com.au slash win and follow the instructions for your chance to win. That's writercentercomau slash win. And if you're at the URL in the future, don't worry, there'll be some other fantastic um, and wonderful novel that I'm going to be giving away as well. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope you are because I'm ready to tell you what the word of the week is. It's farouche. That's F A R O U C H E. Farouche. This is a strange one. Farouche means fierce, but it also means unsociable or shy or sullen. It comes from the French, meaning outside or out of doors, so literally someone who doesn't want to be indoors. So you could say, Ben was too farouche to make it in sales. He needed a new career. There you go. Try using that in a sentence this week. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor, giving you personal feedback each week. Here's what Astrid Schultz says.
2: I'd always loved writing, but it had taken a bit of a backseat while I was working in film and pursuing my career and i tried a few times to to write a different story but i usually would get stuck around 20 to twenty-five thousand words and i didn't know or have the tools to kind of continue with that process to see the manuscript through so that's what really led me to looking at a course to push through to the end so the first course that i signed up was for creative writing stage one It was just a great starting point of Acknowledging that this was something I wanted to take seriously. It was something that I was investing my time into. The things I found most useful about Creative Writing One was actually being in a classroom environment with other people who had the same desires and aspirations to be published as I did. So it also gave me a wonderful network. It was just this really wonderful time where you, know, you set aside certain hours a week and you would go into this very supportive environment and learn about something that you're extremely passionate about. So you get to keep that community alive through the Facebook groups to have, to support you through your writing career. I enrolled in several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre and each one gave me some sort of knowledge or skill or advice that I didn't know about whatever the topic was, whether it was creative writing in general, how to write a novel, how to write history, mystery or magic. And it really kind of gave me this general understanding and base for going out into the world with my manuscripts and hoping to get published. I did envision myself being a published author ever since I was a young kid. I'm so excited to say that I am a published author.
0: If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. And now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. The wonderful Joanna Nell writes absolutely brilliant books that I love. This is her latest, Mrs. Winterbottom Takes a Gap Year. And Joanna has got such an interesting life. (laughs) She is also a medical doctor. She is a GP. And then some years ago, she decided that she wanted to write. And she started off with um, The Single Ladies of Jacaranda Retirement Village, which became a bestseller. And then she went on to write The Last Voyage of Mrs. Henry Parker and The Great Escape from Woodlands Nursing Home and The Tea Ladies of St. Jude's Hospital. And now Mrs. Winterbottom takes a game. Gap year. So, Joanna, thank you so much for joining
3: us. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show, Belle.
0: So many things to talk about, Joe. Um, but first of all, let's start off with Mrs. Winterbottom takes a gap year. I absolutely loved it. Uh, it's such a great read. You're funny, and it's such a it's such a great story. Tell us what it's about for those who haven't got their hands on a copy yet. <laughs>
3: Yeah okay so the story, um, it tells the story of Heather Winterbottom who is a GP and she's married to Alan who's also a GP and the two of them are retiring at the same time about to hang up their stethoscopes after 40 years in practice together and we meet them on the day that they retire at their party and then on the following morning, their very first breakfast of their brand new life of freedom, they sit down and have a conversation they probably should have had a while before, um, talking about what they really want to do in retirement. And it soon becomes very clear they want very different things. Heather wants adventure. She wants to travel and particularly to sail around the Greek islands meanwhile alan wants to turn the back garden into a vegetable garden put a hen house there put up a large greenhouse and so really the question is you know who who gets to compromise if you're going to do things together does Heather stay and watch alan grow his vegetables does alan you know tag along while she goes around greece like uh, lugging along like extra baggage or is there a third way do they both get to do what they want to but separately and I think it's no spoiler to say that Heather does go off to Greece. She gets a little bit more than she bargained for, and um, yeah. So we we follow her as she follows her dream. And so, where did you get this idea? Looks ideas are, are really difficult to pin down. Sometimes, occasionally, a book will come fully formed, and there'll be one thing that triggers that. My whole my last book came fully formed. Um, and there was one single trigger to that. This, I think, was a little bit more of a scrapbook of ideas. So uh, there's the idea of retirement, exploring that. That's the next milestone on my life's journey. It's just on the horizon for me. And what I wanted to do through a character who was in a similar position to me, a, a doctor, is really looking at how she identifies her um, herself, her, how she reestablishes her identity without that job in a world post-medicine. There was also um, a conversation I had with my husband that we put in the scrapbook and that was an interesting one. He said his idea of the perfect retirement would be to sell up house and everything, to buy a big boat and sail off into the sunset and I thought that that sounded beautiful, that sounded idyllic until I realised he was talking about the house that I live into and I had rather thought I might like to move to the country and buy a cottage or an acreage. And so I was looking at a tree change, he was looking at a sea change. And so that was really the question is what, if you couple, you get to this last place, you know, this last golden time in your lives, you know, and you want different things, you know, are you prepared to compromise on that? Um, And then there is a a thread through, uh, uh, you know, her exploring modern Greece, but also retracing the steps of the Odyssey. And that came from my daughter, who was studying ancient history and classics at university in her first year. And she was leaving these wonderful books, um, Homer's Odyssey and the Iliad and, and all these wonderful Greek mythology books around. And so that sort of that was another page in the scrapbook that just sort of formed that subplot.
0: So there are ref- uh, various references that uh, the character or characters make to um, Homer's uh, The Odyssey. Um, uh, presumably, you read it, but what 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 made you want to include some of those references in 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 this
3: story? I only read it very recently. Like Heather, um, I. Look, I studied science at, at school. I came from a school, uh, a state school, where you know there wasn't much core for classics or or Homer, and it was quite later on in my schooling that I got a scholarship to a school where that was all uh, the other students had been studying and were very familiar with. So it was. I felt it was always part of my education that I missed out on. Um, so I was very keen to to read that. And I was sort of transfixed by this idea of Odyssey, which is sort of means homecoming. But as I read it, I thought, as usual, the men got the adventure. They got to go off to, well, unfortunately, to war, but also to have explore and to have this incredible journey with all these experiences while the woman, the, you know, in this case, Odysseus' wife Penelope, sat obediently at home for 20 years, mind, waiting for him to come back. And I thought, well, oh, can't a woman have an odyssey you know if um, if heather wants to go off and have her adventures and you know some of the pitfalls and temptations and things that uh, that she will uh, encounter in that ultimately coming well uh, aiming to get back home again um yeah why why shouldn't i so it really seemed to fit I didn't want to lean too heavily on it. I didn't want to make it too heavy for anyone who wasn't particularly interested in that. But I was fascinated with it and and some of it lent itself very well to adding an extra texture to the book.
0: Now, this is your fifth novel and you have had four others and they've been bestsellers. They're so popular, popular that you have a career that many, the kind of career many other authors dream of. But this is not your first career. As you've mentioned, you studied science and then you went into medicine, you became a GP. And you've been a GP for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what? When did you want to write?
3: From the very beginning, I can't remember a time when I didn't want to, uh, from the very first time I read a book or my parents read a book, I, I think I was thinking in terms of story back then, so it was always something inside me of something innate and I think that other writers will recognize that you know I don't think often writers come to you know middle age and go oh I think I'll suddenly start writing or whatever (laughs) I think it's something that you know is there's this sort of hunger for story for for narrative and and trying to make sense of things usually from from quite an early age so um, a medicine (laughs) science would have seen completely the opposite to that but in fact as they're in some ways quite um quite similar. You know, they're they're based around human stories and you know, as listening to stories every day, particularly as a GP, um and making observations. And and I think certainly being a writer helped me to be a better doctor and and vice versa, because I was always looking into people's motivations and the things that they weren't saying, that sort of hidden narrative and their backstory. So I think they've always been together.
0: Now actually the day we're recording this is uh, a bit of an anniversary for you because um, this weekend when we're recording this is actually the Pitwater Artists Trail which is um, for those of you who don't know the Pitwater Artists Trail is a weekend it's held twice a year uh, where artists open their studios and you can go from studio to studio to basically check out the artists and from memory you went on the Pittwater Artist Trail, you know, just for fun, and went to a particular uh, studio where there were sculptures. And I actually went to the same studio the same year you went. <laughs> and the sculptures, the, some particular sculptures that um, captured your, you know, your eye uh, were of these uh, older ladies who were swimmers. And they were based on, you know, some older ladies who swim in the area in which you live. Uh, and then, is this correct, for one of your assignments in Creative Writing Stage 1, yeah. which you did at the Australian Writers' Centre, um, you based your assignment on one of these ladies. Is that correct?
3: That's absolutely right. In fact, I think it was almost the very first assignment, I think, memory it was something like sort of uh, you know imagine a setting and you know put two people together having a a conversation and I think very around that time I had seen the sculpture this ceramic um, swimmer she's got her goggles on she's not a young lady she's in a an old-fashioned one-piece swimsuit she's about to dive in and I was completely captivated by this, uh, by this character. I think her name was Gilgola Betty or something. And uh, the artist was Michelle Petrie. But it just comes to show that inspiration can come from anywhere. I think Liz Gilbert says, you know, you only have to turn your head just a fraction to notice. And I think it's just noticing something. Um, so I put this character, I called her Peggy, And she is having a conversation with a friend, um, Angie. And I put, uh, you know, these two characters uh, were in, they were having a conversation about whether Peggy should start online dating at 80. And this was my first assignment. I felt I hadn't really finished with that. And it became a short story. And even after the short story, I felt, no, these characters wouldn't leave me alone and, and they became that my first published novel. My, not my first manuscript but my first published novel. Yeah. The
0: Single Ladies of, the, of Jacaranda Retirement Village, right?
3: That's the one, yes.
0: Yeah. yeah, absolutely fantastic. I love how, as you say, inspiration can come from everywhere but we also need to feed our inspiration. You know, we can't, we we actually need to go to things like that. What do you do to feed your inspiration?
3: Um. Mm. I think I, I walk. Look, that is the most important thing for me. I need to start every day, whether it's a writing day or whatever, with a walk. And in fact, I think that's how we very first met, because I was sort of striding along with my yes. like, Labrador and walked past your house. I sort of knew we lived in the same sort of area and there I sort of saw you up the driveway. Hi, hello, as if you wouldn't know who I was, but you were very, very um, generous and, and, and we had a chat. But yeah, look, walking is when my thoughts, uh, and I'm just noticing things around, you know, uh, I was on the subway in um, Paris a couple of years ago, and there was a, a man sat in his pajamas, um, you know, on uh, a bench waiting for a train. And I just thought, what's his story? You know, it, it, it's just something that that could be the beginning of a story. It's just I just noticed him out of the corner of my eye. So walking is my is my thing, and reading, I, I guess. Mm. You know, I just sometimes reading other people's work you know you can just have a little flash of inspiration and Mm -hmm. listening to people eavesdropping is a a big one too oh my goodness yeah just being out sitting in a cafe you know on a bus or just listening to those little snippets.
0: So let's say you're eavesdropping because I think eavesdropping is a fantastic way to get ideas um, and I love doing it too but let's say you're eavesdropping and something you hear something that is like oh, you know, that's really cool. Or there's something in that. What do you do? Do you talk into a voice thing? Do you write things <laughs> out? What do you
3: do to, because it's so easy to forget these things. It is, yes. Look, I would love, I have a lot of notebooks. Um, I love notebooks, but I always forget to take them with me. And I never have them when I quite need them. But, of course, we all have a mobile phone on us. So my notes app um, is just full. And it can be not just overheard conversation, it can be suddenly a flash of inspiration, an idea, an image, um, or even like a line of of text, you know, uh, come to me, a sentence or something. And I think, ah, that's it, that's brilliant. Um, And I just write it down in my notes. um, And then I, you know, when I get to start a new manuscript, um, because I'm often thinking in terms of how this is going to you know play into a new story. I then just print out those notes and I just highlight anything of interest. Um, okay. And so
0: when it comes to um your author career, because you've had four bestsellers, I have no doubt this is going to be a fifth bestseller, at what point did you kind of think, uh, I mean, or or have you experienced, oh, am I a doctor? Am I an author? Do I need to choose, you know, have, talk us through any kind of push and pull with that situation?
3: That's one I, I think I will always struggle with. Um, it took me a long time to um, um, uh, get on top of imposter syndrome uh, as a doctor, but I think I finally did. Um and now you know I still feel like an imposter even with you know five five books published now as a writer. So it took me a long time to be able to say, you know, I'm I'm a writer too. So in some ways my day job, my doctor job felt more legitimate, I suppose, because it was something that was, you know, on the surface of it, it was more altruistic, it was something that brought in a regular income, something that I felt I was. You know doing a, a lot for other people for community and and had a bit of respect so when i started writing it was something i kept to myself to begin with because it again it, it seemed a little bit in indulgence and something that wasn't as worthy a, as what i was doing before but of course that's now taken off and you know a lot of people write to me and say how much pleasure it's brought them so in a in a way i'm sort of moving from one to another but I think your identity is so often wrapped up with what you do for a living, with cert- particularly certain jobs. And, and I think a lot of doctors and probably other professions as well, it's easier to say what you do than who you are. And, and I think a lot of my identity was, was wrapped up with that. Even when I was getting to the stage where I knew I'm I'm sort of coming towards the end of my career in medicine. So it's an ongoing process. I think you don't just stop one day, one job and leap into another career. I think actually it's a more natural progression to, you know, to start towards retirement, start to do something, indulge yourself in something you really love and something creative, maybe, and see where that leads.
0: So I guess you decided, you know, you were finally going to explore that creative itch, and that's when you enrolled in creative writing stage one, and subsequently then, um, you know, the more intermediate and advanced courses and novel writing essentials, yeah. plus a whole bunch of other courses, and you learnt some skills with that, which is great, and and you were managed to parlay those skills into, it, it, essentially, it's almost like a book a year. Would that be, would that be a, an approximate timeline, a book a year?
3: Yes, the last one has taken two years. But, of, of course, as you know, it doesn't, you know, it's not a a, book, a year to write a book. It might be two years to write yes. the book and a year of editing. But it came out that because I was way ahead on my second book when my first book was picked up, that that came out the following year. I then managed to squeeze the third one in, uh, in into a year. And the fourth one, I was just, during the pandemic, I was just starting to fall a little bit behind. But, yes, basically a book a, a year.
0: So by the time you get to your fifth book, you must have some kind of writing process which you which works for you because it's different for everyone. But I'm sure we'd love to hear what process works for for you, you know, from the ideation to the actual getting the words on the page and the system, a practical system of how you get the words on the page. And also sure. I imagine it might have morphed since since book one, because, you know, you you have,
3: you get so much more experience. So what is it now that you have five books down? Exactly. You'd think it would get easier with each book. And in some ways it gets harder because I think you, you know, a lot more and, you know, you're trying to incorporate all the lessons that you've learned from previous books. And of course, you, you know, I'm I think we should all be lifelong learners. So, you know, you're, I'm still reading books. I'm still doing, you know, courses, workshops and learning new things. So that you're trying to put all of that in. In So um, I think my process, I would love to say it had streamlined. It hasn't, it's different for each book. But I think a lot of my writing process is thinking time. So I am not someone who necessarily will sit down at the desk every day and, and write. when. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking, and that could be for me during a publicity time or during an editing time for another book, I'm thinking about the next one. I'm letting those ideas sort of percolate. I'm I'm waiting till I've got enough notes in my little notes app for it to feel as though I'm ready to to write. I'm sort of almost bursting to write it. I do a very quick first draft. Um, When I'm in that writing phase, I can write 3,000, 5,000 words a day if if it's slowing. I don't go back and reread it. I mean, people change names halfway through, we change settings, you know, the timeline is all over the place, but I've just learned that that's the way I have to keep, I'm hungry to know the next bit and the next bit, and I keep the momentum up. And I can write that first draft in about three months, Um, sometimes even a bit quicker than that. Then I try to leave it for as long as possible. Sometimes I'm quite impatient or there's a deadline and so I may only leave it for a week or two, have a breather. Then I print it out. um, I get a hard copy um, and I read it purely as a reader. I don't take a pen to it. I don't make notes. I just purely read it. Sometimes some bits are terrible. Sometimes you actually go, oh, such actually quite good. I don't remember writing that, but that seems to work. I'll keep that bit. Then I go over it again with a pen, a highlighter, you know, textures, little sticky notes. And that's my kind of, So that, that's the framework for my second draft. Um, I would love to say that at the end of my second draft, I have this beautifully polished novel. No, it probably takes me another couple of, drafts after that not completely rewriting it some chapters will be completely rewritten some will be added but some will be you know that the core of what was in the first draft so it it pretty much takes me 12 months to to get that um, to a stage where it's ready to to submit to my agent.
0: I want to circle back to the thinking time because what I'd love to know is are you actually thinking through the whole story, the whole plot, and then that's why you're bursting to get it all out? Or are you just thinking about characters and and you don't know what's going on when you start writing? How does that work for you?
3: I think it, it comes in little pieces, you know. It doesn't necessarily come in a linear way like I'll think of the characters then, i think of the plot or whatever. I'll suddenly have a character will come and a piece of plot and I know what they want or what will happen and I'm filling notebooks with these sometimes the harder I try to think about a problem the more it eludes me and so going off and doing something different going off for a walk um, one of the the best keys I have um, uh, pieces of, uh, of advice that uh, I give other people is if you're really stuck at any point I just read a new craft book and won't necessarily you know there's lots of different craft books out there but sometimes what you're trying to find will be in that craft book um there'll be just like one sentence and you'll go oh yes that's it that's it so um the thinking time it can be reading other things it can be just waiting for those ideas to settle i think that um you know one one writer described it as like having all your planes in the air and just waiting you're like the air traffic controller you're just waiting for them to land one at a time but thinking time can be you know can be in the car while you're driving to work or while you're doing the dishes or something else it's just putting your head in that story in that space and allowing the ideas to come
0: now, you just made reference uh, a couple of minutes ago to your agent. I'm sure a lot of our audience would love to know how did you get your agent, if you can cast your mind back to that.
3: Yes, yeah, so I this um it, it can be as difficult to get an agent as to, to get a, a publisher. And I went along to one of the Australian Society of Authors' speed dating, literally speed dating events, and – I had, you know, um, pencilled in a couple of names of publishers that I wanted to pitch to, and there was also one agent there as well. And you have three minutes to give your pitch. I did a course beforehand that was preparing the pitch, and I think that that was so useful. I can't remember where I did that, but actually having the chance to perfect your pitch, practice it, um, is is really useful because you only get like one chance to make a, a first impression, and I took a big breath and I sort of blurted it out <laughs> in one go. and she looked quite shocked, but she did hand me a, a card at that stage, and then the bell goes and the next person comes in. So, I think it's a, it's a great way of doing. It. It's absolutely terrifying the thought of it, but. It's much much better than you you think, and you know the the opportunity. I think to get face to face with somebody it was really good. They get to know, you know, what kind of person you are. You get to sell your, you know, your story a bit, but also your yourself as a writer. So um, yes, yeah, so I, I Hayley Nash was my first um, agent, and she uh, I emailed her my um, uh, manuscript and she was interested I think she saw some commercial appeal to that and things happen very slowly in publishing and then they happen very fast so I'd been pitching for quite a long time and then almost overnight it it, it all fell into place.
0: But I think that also touches on the importance of um, going to industry events because you get to meet people face-to-face you can always email them sure but when somebody has met you face-to-face it is it's it's a far stronger um you know foundation for a potential relationship and one of the things I notice with you is that you are an active part of the writing community you are at other authors events um uh you you participate in you know um uh talks and and, and that sort of thing How important has that been to your author career and what do you think your author career would be like without you being so active in
3: going to events in the writing community? I I don't think I'd have a career if if I hadn't. I mean, and this really is... So unlike me to be so out there, really. I'm a complete introvert. I was very shy at school. I wasn't very good at making friends. But, you know, this is not like high school. You know, these are your tribe already, these are your people. You know, you have things in common. Um, so, I didn't do it initially, uh, you know, so consciously. It, it wasn't something that I was so strategic with, but I was just hungry, I think, to make connections with people who wanted to talk about the same thing I did, which was writing and, and reading and books. And so, this is why I think initially um, after doing some online courses, I took the step to do a face to face course. And and that was great because immediately you had that little community. And in fact, on that first novel writing course, my uh, group actually stayed together and we actually had weekly meetings and we sort of had a a writer's group and it was only because I would have to travel quite a distance um, on a weekday evening that I I, I sort of didn't didn't go to that but I'm still in touch with with several people from that group and from there it just again it has to grow organically you can't suddenly grow a community your publicist can't you know uh, get you a, uh, get you one when you have your book published you know it has to you can't conjure one up um, so I made the uh, through listening to your podcast uh, my very first connection was with Penelope Janu I listened to her she was talking one of the earlier episodes when she was talking about publishing her first book in at the deep end and I realized that it was set in Avalon which is where I lived and then turned out that, that Penny also lived in Avalon so I contacted her through um, social media and we arranged to have a, a coffee. I then went along to one of her book launches I think it was in her, her second book launch and where I met Pamela Cook and Ray Cairns and I'd been listening to their podcast and I got chatting to them at this book launch where I didn't know anybody else. Um, The following week, they uh, contacted me and asked me to join their writing group. The other person they'd uh, invited was Penelope Janu, but also Michelle Barclough, who I had only very recently um, contacted through Twitter. We were uh, commenting on the same post and we'd met for a literary blind date. We'd met, met for a coffee. So suddenly I had this writing group and this community but there's also been other other events that I have been to and, and chatted to. And, and sometimes you just need to make that first move. Other Most writers are introverts. So, you know, all feeling the same. You, you know, if you find an extrovert, that's great because, you know, they're not gonna mind you going up and int- introducing yourself, but they you know, the, you never know who this person is. I think I've heard you, you say this before, going to events, going to author, talks and launches and and author events sometimes there's a very small crowd there and you know you could be having almost a one-on-one with with other people with their publisher with their publicist with the writer themselves the person who's interviewing them it can be a very intimate crowd so i think just just get out there for those who live in areas where it's not easy to get to events there are so many online communities now facebook groups for, for writers the podcast community you know I've met some some great friends through that but I think it's also bearing in mind that you're there to help other people too so that that phrase you know a rising tide floats all boats so it's really important to give back to that community to promote other people's books go to their events you know just just be a good a good person in in the group and it comes back in dividends.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think a key part of the, what you just described is that you were all proactive. You all self-organized because people do email me and say, oh, can you put me into a writer's group? Well, no, I can't because I don't know whether you're going to fit into that group. Right. You, you guys somehow, Mm -hmm. you know, clicked and then you self-organized. And that is where writer's groups, you know, really work. And you may not, uh, you some people may come and go over a period of time but that's what works as opposed to oh here's a list of writers groups and you know uh, can I put you in one it doesn't it's not going to work out that way I think that the way you've done it because you're still in touch with them as you say um is is ideal all right um let's end with uh what are you working on now now that this is out in the world Mrs Winterbottom takes a gap year what
3: are you working on now I'm working on another manuscript um, this one's tricky I think because the last one came relatively easy and, and I feel it's a you know it's a, a book that's going to be popular with a lot of people certainly popular with my publisher and my agent to then build on that is um, you know it, it's tricky I have an idea and it's coming together there's always the desire to do something a little bit different but also not wanting to lose current readership. So we're, we're in the early stages, well.
0: Oh, I can't wait to see what happens. All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Get a copy of Mrs Winterbottom Takes a Gap You. It's just a gorgeous read. And thank you so much for your time today, Jo. Oh,
3: it's my pleasure. Thank you, Val.
0: I hope you enjoyed my chat with Joanna Nell. Now, I'm going to leave you with this fun fact this week. The word acronym, as in, you know, when you use the initial letters of words to create a shortened or new word, only entered English around 1940. Originally, acronyms were limited to only include abbreviations that were pronounced as a whole word, as in laser or scuba or NATO, right? And those of a certain vintage may remember the very famous episode, of Family Ties, where we all learned about scuba, self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. Anyway, if you know, you know. If each letter was pronounced individually, such as USA or FBI, then that was called an initialism, Yep. Yeah? However, these days, acronym covers both forms of abbreviations. There you go. Did you know that? Was that a fun fact for you? Hopefully useful for pub trivia one day. All right, we've reached the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that you found some inspiration from uh, the authors, but also maybe some tips that you might be able to use in your writing as well. Do connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo on Instagram, which is kind of where I um, uh, reveal bits of my artistic life. But also connect with me and everyone in the podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want To Be A Writer podcast community and request to join. I'd love to see you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time.